Defense Review Podcast. I'm Richard Stupard, and we're back once again with Adrian Ohanissian to discuss in more detail the emerging accounts of civilian massacres in Juba in the days following the South Sudanese government split that occurred in December last year. Welcome back to the podcast, Adrian. Thank you very much. So we're, we're here today to talk a little bit about some of the violence that's been happening towards civilians in Juba in the aftermath of the fallout between Salvaqir and Rick Machar. Can you maybe talk a little, uh, talk us a little bit through the timeline of what what happened since since the the two parties broke out? Well, the violence broke out on the fifteenth uh, between Salvaqir's forces, uh, the Tiger Brigade, and what's said to have happened is that the the Dinka within that brigade were said to disarm the Noor within the brigade and it actually opened fire onto Noor soldiers. Um, from there, what we understand is that the violence spread throughout Juba in a few different locations, um, specifically targeting Noor civilians throughout Juba. So we think from what we understand, talking to some of the civilians now staying in the UN compounds in Juba, seeking refuge there, uh, it seemed as though SPLA, mainly Dinka, were going virtually house to house, um, seeking out Noor civilians sometimes asking them if they if they spoke the Dinka language, and if not, um, they would be shot. Or there's, al- there's also a few cases of um, people being forced into houses and shot at. Um, so this was really something that happened right when the violence broke out um, throughout Juba and was specifically targeting newer civilians. And to be, to be clear, these were not people associated with the army. It was more people being targeted because they were no. I think it was a bit of both, to be honest, um, and it's hard to tell what the command was or if there was actually a command coming from Selvakir. Uh, but what we do know, uh, whether or not there was an actual command, was it was indeed SPLA government soldiers. And this, this happened for a few days in Juba, so we're looking at a, around from the 15th when the fighting broke out between the government soldiers through to about the 18th. So there were a few days here. Uh, throughout the capital where this was happening. Um, some people say that mainly men um, of the Nora tribe of kind of soldier age, so young boys and men were targeted specifically, but there's also many, many cases where women and children um, or other male civilians were involved as well. Now, you were in Juba investigating some of some of these atrocities or some of the massacres. Can you maybe talk us through some? Sure. I was in Juba about a month after the violence broke out. And I was originally just talking to people who were seeking refuge within the UN compound in Tomping, uh, right in the middle of the capital. And what I found there were a few different stories of, of these uh, atrocities taking place. And the striking, the striking thing to me about that UN compound is there's about 23,000 civilians in that compound right now. And of those 23,000, it's exclusively people from the Nura tribe. And so I think this within itself is very telling of the situation. Um, so I started, I started asking people about their experiences, why they had come to seek refuge in the Owen compound. And I, w- I was finding stories, one after the other, of people experiencing shootings by SPLA, Dinka government soldiers. Uh, and also a few different testimonies of specific locations where civilians were being kind of herded into tickles, like the traditional mud huts, and shot at and burned. Uh, so I received various testimonies um, in very specific locations um, about these atrocities and these massacres. 
so I was able to go to some of these locations within Juba and photograph photograph the buildings, photograph the locations, um, bring the photographs back into the UN compound uh, to confirm from the civilians uh, that these were actually the sites of the mass killings. And what has the response been so far from the government of South Sudan or from other authorities regarding the massacres? Have they have they been have people responded to the allegations or allegated to the evidence? Well, there have been a few different reports, um, some of which I was reporting from an area called Mia Sabah, or 107, 107 in English, um, also known as Maniki West. Uh, there have been a couple different reports, some by other journalists, some by Human Rights Watch. Um, I know that the International Crisis Group has also referenced these killings, um, and the UN in South Sudan and MIS um, has also made reference to human rights violations. Um, there are a few different locations that have been pointed out throughout Juba where these mass killings have taken place. One um, that we know of in Good Delhi, it's said to be between 200 and 300 people were kind of pushed into um, a building and, and shot within that building. There's another building um, out in Good Delhi too where it's been reported up to 400 people um, experienced the same sort of the same sort of experience of being herded into a small space or into a building and basically the SPLA opening fire um, into the building onto the civilians. And there have been a couple of survivors who have been interviewed as well at the, at the Juba Teaching Hospital. Um, so, the, so the news is out there about, about what has been happening. Um, but again, it was very difficult from the beginning to kind of um, go around Juba, especially during the first few days. Uh, when the violence broke out uh, just because of the, the security threats. And I also believe that um, the government has been doing a fairly good job of, of cleaning up their mess. Um, but we also have to remember it's not, it hasn't just been um, Dinka SPLA targeting your civilians. It's happened on the reverse of, as well. You have Machara's forces, the ex-vice president, who's newer targeting um, civilian Dinka. So it's happening on both sides, but I think the incidences in Juba are important because it was, it happened right when the violence broke out. This wasn't really into a full-scale war at this point. So it was right after the violence broke out, and it was actually government forces targeting civilians, which is, I think is very important to recognize. And how far have the events in Juba made it onto the uh, formal track with uh, the discussions, for example, for the ceasefire in Addis Ababa and at the United Nations? I believe the UN is meant to be tabling a report on, on the violence in Juba shortly. Uh, the UN reports, I think everyone's been waiting um, for those to be published. I know there's supposed to be two reports, from what I understand. One will be confidential for the UN Security Council, and the second will be made public. Um, unfortunately, there hasn't, there really haven't been any smaller reports that have that have come out within the last month, which I think would have been a bit more helpful to really call out these incidences as they were happening. Um, in terms of Selkir, you know, he's he's said to a certain extent that the people responsible for these killings should be should be punished, but we really haven't seen um, any signs of the SPLA doing much to investigate these killings. And at that point, it's also um, the SPLA investigating itself, which I'm not sure how reliable um, that could be. And in terms, of the, in terms of the talks in Addis, 
it seems that those talks have really just grazed the surface of the issues. Um, the, ceasefire, or the ceasefire, sorry, was signed on the 23rd of, of January. That hasn't really held. And beyond that, there really hasn't been much talk or discussion about human rights violations. And from what you heard, how much evidence is there to point to the massacres having been done by troops under the SPLA chain of command versus roving militias or other people just taking up arms? Uh, that's why I think the killings in Juba are so important, is it was right at the beginning of the outbreak of violence. So at this point, there was there was no retaliation involved. It really seemed to be SPLA, Dinka, government soldiers going house to house, going around communities, and specifically seeking out newer, newer civilians, specifically men um, of younger or fighting age uh, throughout Juba. So after, after these killings, you can say to a certain extent, maybe there was some rebuttal on the part of Machar's forces towards, um, towards Dinka. But at this point, right when the violence was breaking out, it seemed a little bit, um, I shouldn't say unnecessary, there wasn't a, a set conflict at this point in time. So it really was um, a big step by the SPLA government forces to go ahead and, and seek out Noor specifically in Juba. And what, as far as you know, is the situation currently in Juba with uh, particularly Noor? Have people thought about returning home to their households or are areas of the city effectively deserted? Uh, at the certain moment? parts of the city are completely deserted. You can, um, you can try to go to some of these areas in Juba that were in Noor communities and it's essentially, uh, they're essentially ghost towns. Almost every house has been raided. Um, personal items are scattered everywhere, clothes, books. Um, and a lot of the property has also been burned. Um, so it's, it's still completely a ghost town. And we're talking the violence broke out in mid-December. And there, are still, there might be the occasional SPLA soldier wandering around the area. But other than that, these areas are completely abandoned. Um, there have been a few civilians who have tried to go back to their houses to save some personal items or try to get some food, um, but mainly people really fear to leave the UN compound um, as they fear for their lives. And we've seen uh, multiple cases actually um, at the West Gate outside of the UN compound in Tomping. Um, as the compound is so congested, people choose to go outside of the UN compound to bathe or do their washing. And there's a strip of land just between the compound and the river that actually goes to the military barracks in Juba. And there have been a number of cases where newer civilians will be out doing their washing or bathing, and the SPLA will drive by and just open a fire onto the newer civilians. And this happened on a couple of occasions while I was there. So there's still quite a bit of tension, and obviously these people are still fearing for their lives. And it, it sounds as if there's certainly no concern almost on the part of the SPLA that the actions are being observed. Certainly shooting people outside of a UN compound is fairly out in the open. Well, I think to a certain extent, the SPLA knows there's only so much that the UN can do. Um, and there's also been quite a bit of tension between the government and the UN. Um, but essentially, it's a really difficult issue because a pickup truck of SPLA drives by 
opens fire on some civilians. Sometimes it's a couple that are hit. On one occasion while I was there, there were four people that were hit. No casualties, but still. Um, and there are Rwandan peacekeeping um, forces outside of the UN base. But really, in a situation like that, if you have Rwandan peacekeepers who decide to fire back onto SPLA forces, essentially I think what would happen is you'd see these SPLA forces jumping down out of their trucks and, and slaughtering civilians. So it's a really difficult and, and shaky situation that you have to be very cautious about. Um, and they are, again, they are outside of the UN base, but I think it just demonstrates, um, it just demonstrates the amount of tension that's there and also demonstrates the threat to these civilians if they do leave the UN base. And what is the prognosis from here for the people sheltering, for example, at the UN base and, and outside of Juba for them returning? I mean, is there any indication that Juba would be safe for them to come back in coming weeks? Um, for now, it doesn't. It doesn't seem that that would be the case. I know that the government has encouraged people. Um, they've encouraged Dinka who have fled war to return. They've encouraged numerous civilians to return to their areas. But again, it, it's just these people have seen horrible, horrible things in their neighborhoods. And you talk to these people in the Tomping compound. And within minutes, you'll have a crowd around you and, and realize that most people have a story of, of killings in their neighborhood or most people are missing a family member or a relative or a colleague. Um, so those, those tensions are not going to go away quickly. And this is something that really hasn't yet been, um, hasn't been confronted, especially in, in the ceasefire talks, is what, what will happen to all these civilians? How do you, how do you take some steps forward to um, ensure that these tensions don't continue? And how do you convince people that have, that have had horrible things happen to their communities that this government should still be in place, which is a, a big concern as well, that you now have a, a government that's responsible for mass killing of its citizens. So from your time there and certainly the instability in Juba, how difficult has it been for, certainly from, from your point of view with your own work and for people from Human Rights Watch and other organizations to actually document what, what has happened? It's been very difficult for people to document what has happened. There have been a few journalists who have been able to do so. And there's, there's been a good amount of testimony from some of the civilians who have fled into the UN compound. But generally, right after the the violence broke out, it was nearly impossible to go to move around Juba. Um, there was still fighting occurring in the streets and, and the security was a big concern for civilians and anyone who was trying to understand what was actually happening at the time. So I think for a few days after the, the violence broke out, um, the situation and, and the cause of the violence was still a bit of a mystery. Um, and in terms of in investigating these killings, um, it's been, it's been very challenging. Um, my experience, um, for one, going around the neighborhood of Mia Sabah where these, these killings took place, um, every turn there were SPLA soldiers still, still moving around the communities. Um, and on a couple of occasions, um, you know, people have been strongly encouraged, some at gunpoint, some journalists at gunpoint, to leave these areas. Um, my own experience... Uh, Myself and two colleagues got a visit from six heavily armed national security after we had left the area um, who proceeded to surround us and give us quite a, quite a talking to and um, 
basically a warning that what we were doing was unacceptable to them and um, we were encouraged never to return to that area again. So the government seems to be uh, kind of shutting down any journalistic, definitely journalistic um, investigations in the area. I'm not sure how um, other organizations um, have been accepted by the government, um, but also um, many civilians who aren't in the UN compound. I know interviews, um, people at the hospitals were interviewed on a couple of occasions, and people are really, really scared to discuss what's his, what has happened in these areas. So overall, it's been very difficult, and and even in these areas, the the mess was was cleaned up quite quickly. The government um, at this point imposing a six p.m. to six a.m. curfew. Um, so during that time, no one was allowed on the street besides government forces. And I had a couple of reports of people saying that this is when when the bodies were were cleaned up and taken away. Some reported to have been dumped in the Nile. Um, some reported to have put in mass graves. But again, even this information is is very difficult um, to track, and it's very difficult to get eyewitnesses in a lot of these um, scenarios. So besides the United Nations report, has there, have there been any moves to set up some sort of formal inquiry into what's happened or investigation into the events in Juba? The, the UN mission in South Sudan should be coming out with a couple of reports, um, hopefully within the next few weeks. The latest date I heard was at some point in April. Um, but other than that, the AU has stepped up. Uh, they were supposed to, um, well, they were welcomed by the UN to form a commission of inquiry into some of the killings that have been taking place, not just in Juba, but throughout South Sudan, and also not just killings um, of North citizens, but also killings um, on the part of Riyak Machar's forces onto Dinka civilians. So that commission was approved, I believe, on the 30th of December, and it was their responsibility to kind of form a group of people uh, to investigate these atrocities. Um, but we really as far as I know, haven't, haven't seen any, any progress on that commission. Um, and they've been quite, quite quiet about whether or not they're actually investigating um, in South Sudan. So it's, it's useful that this commission is supposed to be formed, but on the other hand, because of the AU spearheading this commission, um, others have stepped back um, away from doing that. Uh, Human Rights Watch has done a couple of reports. I know that Amnesty International is on the ground uh, at the moment uh, doing some investigations. But unfortunately, I don't know what has ended up happening to this AU commission. Has there been work from civil society, from church groups or others, to collect evidence or try and document what's happened? I think at this point, those groups um, have a lot of other other issues on their hands. But at the same time... um, it seems like people are really afraid to kind of prod into these killings. And it's been, it's been a big struggle, and even journalists have been accused of kind of promoting ethnic killings in South Sudan by reporting on them. And it, it, is, it is essentially a political struggle. You have two political characters, um, and the struggle did originate out of this, out of this conflict between Kier and, and Machar. But on the other hand, you had this conflict jump straight into an ethnic struggle as well, starting on the 15th of December, when Kyrgyz forces opened fire on Noor forces. So 
it's been very challenging um, for a lot of people to speak out um, against what's going on, especially if you're South Sudanese and maybe um, your own ethnicity ties into these issues. It could be very dangerous um, for local journalists or civil society or anyone to kind of open that can of worms. 